It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCW in Sitka. Today is Friday, May 7th. I'm Meredith Reddick with Raven News. The FDA is expected to approve the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for children 12 and over as early as next week. Anticipating the shift in policy, the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium is asking everyone 12 and older to register for vaccines. In a press release from Search, Chief Medical Officer Dr. Elliot Rule said that COVID patients are trending younger and those under 50 represent the largest group of hospitalizations in the country. He urged Sitkins to get all eligible children and household members vaccinated. All children under the age of 18 must be accompanied by a parent or guardian to receive their vaccination. You can find a link to the search vaccination registration form on our COVID information hub at kcw.org. Tiny homes have gained traction in recent years as an affordable housing alternative, but building them legally poses challenges in many communities. Sitka was one of the first cities in the country to introduce a set of tiny home-friendly code changes last year. But as KCAW's Aaron McKinstry reports, a year after passing the groundbreaking ordinance, no one is building them. A few years back, Stephanie Cruz and her husband decided they were sick of renting. They moved around a lot for Cruz's job, so buying a house wasn't a great option. Besides, with Southeast Alaska's high rental rates, they weren't saving enough for a down payment. They looked at manufactured homes and RVs, but ultimately settled on a tiny house on wheels. We prefer the tiny house for a lot of reasons. One of them for sure is that a tiny house holds its value uh, a lot better than an RV because it's built with more traditional construction materials that are meant to withstand the weather. And then also, you know, they're whimsical and fun and, and interesting. With beige siding and a blue metal roof, the roughly 170 square foot house looks like a mini single family home. Cruz and her husband took out an RV loan and paid a company in British Columbia $40,000 to build it. They moved it to Juneau on the ferry and parked it on a shared lot. When Cruz's job brought her to Sitka, the tiny house came with them. Even with their loan payment and the cost to rent a spot at a local RV park, Cruz says they were paying a couple hundred dollars less a month than if they were renting. I think the kind of ruling concept for people who who do small homes or, or tiny homes is, you know, a a small house for a big life. If you can reduce your housing expenses and, you know, kind of minimize that in your life, but still make it a pleasant place to be, then that gives you the ability to kind of put your funding towards the things that you are really passionate about in your life. For Cruz and her husband, that meant a trip to Japan and saving to buy a regular house. And when they sold the tiny house and left Sitka for the Pacific Northwest, that's exactly what they did. I think it's a really great stepping stone to homeownership like it was for us. But even though rent in Sitka is high and homeownership can be cost prohibitive, people in Sitka aren't following in Cruz's footsteps. That's despite changes to the city's building and zoning codes a little over a year ago to make tiny homes easier to build. Pat Swadeen is Sitka's building official. There's definitely been a few individuals who have been interested in it. Um, We've also had actually a couple of companies think about maybe trying to go that route. Thus far, we haven't had anybody actually begin that process of of permitting and and constructing a tiny home. Even before the changes, Sitka didn't have a minimum house size, but meeting building standards for small structures was a challenge. So Sitka adopted a set of international regulations to make it easier to build houses under 400 square feet allowing for things like ladders and lower ceilings. 
it also addressed a legal gray area for tiny homes on wheels. Before last March, Sitka considered them RVs, like almost any other place in the country. And legally, you can't live in an RV year-round in Sitka. Now, they have their own designation. They're allowed in trailer courts, and there are some zones where they can be placed on lots by themselves with planning commission approval. But there are still barriers, like the cost of construction, Swadeen says. Per square foot, a tiny home isn't really super affordable. You know, since it's small, it's not like the cost of building a 2,500-square-foot house. But you still need to have cooking appliances. You still need to have heating appliances. You still need to have bathing facilities and a toilet and things like that. Financing and land availability are also big hurdles. Tiny homes on wheels aren't allowed as accessory dwelling units in Sitka. You can't just buy one and park it in someone's yard. Jennifer Younger bought Cruz's tiny home as an affordable option for her son. Much like Cruz, it allowed him to save money to buy his own house. Now they're looking to sell. But Younger says land availability has stopped a lot of potential buyers. We've had several people very interested and check it out. And it's a beautifully built, you know, little home. But people just don't have property to put it on. Even though tiny homes haven't taken off, Sitka Conservation Society's Chandler O'Connell isn't discouraged. SCS partnered with a Sitka high school construction class to build their own tiny house a few years ago. Their efforts to sell it sparked a community conversation, which contributed to the eventual code changes. And I think our learning from from past code changes is it takes a while for that information to get out there. It takes a while for people to understand the implications and think about how they want to implement that in their own uh, building decisions. Um, I'm excited to see how it can shape a Sitka's housing market over the next few years. She says she sees tiny homes as one affordable housing option of many. They won't work for everyone, but it's about getting more tools in Sitka's housing tool belt. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. Throughout April and May, KCW will be bringing you stories about affordable housing solutions every Friday as part of our Building Solutions series. To find photos and more in-depth reporting, visit kcw.org slash building solutions. New details are emerging about a COVID-19 outbreak associated with a regional high school sports tournament held in Ketchikan. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, public health officials say at least 23 cases have been linked to April's regional wrestling tournament. The Bill Weiss tournament is an annual wrestling event that invites athletes and their families from around the region. Now, public health officials say people in five of the seven communities that participated this year, Craig, Cloac, Sitka, Wrangell, and Ketchikan, have tested positive for COVID-19 after attending the tournament. It was held alongside another regional tournament on April 23rd and 24th at Ketchikan High School. Craig parent Lonnie Lingley was at the tournament with her son. She acknowledges that sports in a pandemic carry a level of risk, but she says she thought the Ketchikan wrestling tournament would be safe because of the paperwork sent home and the lengths went into making sure all our kids were tested and knowing that every community coming to the tournament would be tested and that we would be wearing masks and temperatures would be checked. She spoke to KRBD from Alicia Roberts Medical Center in the Prince of Wales Island community of Cloac, where she was being tested for COVID-19. Ketchikan emergency officials said Tuesday that five people at the tournament at Ketchikan High School were infected and contagious during the indoor event. 
The regional governing body for school sports issued a formal warning to Ketchikan High School last week, saying school officials did not test their athletes prior to the competition and did not enforce a mask requirement. Ketchikan's school district says it's investigating. Now, fallout from the event is starting to emerge after Ketchikan's school board was briefed on the situation. State Public Health Nurse Arizona Jacobs told the board Wednesday that 13 Ketchikan High School employees and students have now tested positive. All but one was infectious and present in school for one to six days before beginning quarantine. Three of the 13 cases were present at school and infectious for at least a full week, Ketchikan emergency officials say, and roughly 8% of the student body is currently in quarantine. It's not clear how many people were potentially exposed as a result of the tournament. Jacobs told the board that contact tracing for cases that have arisen outside of school is still underway. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. A bill that would give the legislature more clout in shaping the state-run ferry system unanimously passed Alaska's House of Representatives on Wednesday. But as Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, its success remains uncertain because the governor's office asserts it's unconstitutional. House Bill 63 would create an Alaska Marine Highway Operations Board that would be tasked with crafting both short- and long-term planning for the fleet and the State Department of Transportation would be bound to incorporate its direction into daily operations. The Alaska Marine Highway System has been struggling with deep funding cuts, an aging fleet, and steep declines in ridership during the COVID-19 pandemic. Sitka Democratic Representative Jonathan Christ Tompkins spoke on the House floor Wednesday on how residents in coastal communities have been dismayed by cuts to service. My hometown of Sitka is getting less ferry service than any point since the 1960s over the last number of years. So that sort of puts things into context that we are definitely going backwards and not forwards. And it um, really affects people's lives. Reforming the Alaska Marine Highway System has been a priority of coastal legislators. And it found bipartisan support with rail belt lawmakers like Anchorage Republican Representative James Kaufman, who worked to refine the legislation. Coming from South Anchorage, I didn't think I would be getting all busy in a in a, a bill about the ferries, uh, and but it turned out it was a an enjoyable process, even though it was hard work. Governor Mike Dunleavy floated a similar initiative earlier in the year, but this bill differs as nearly half the members would be appointed by legislative leadership, and that could be a sticking point with the executive branch, which released a statement to Coast Alaska questioning the House bill's constitutionality just hours after its passage. That's because the governor's office says that allowing lawmakers to appoint members to an executive board would violate the separation of powers. That possibility was discussed in an April legal memo to lawmakers, but legislative counsel said that since the Marine Highway Operations Board would be largely advisory, a court may find no legal issues exist. It now heads to the state Senate for consideration. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.